a dean's letter from God. In the book of Job, chapter 1, reading from verse 6, Job chapter 1, reading from verse 6, the Bible says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered and said unto the Lord, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? And I pause. There is none like him in the earth. Hast thou considered my school, Loma Linda? There is none like it in the earth. Hast thou considered the Seventh-day Adventist Church? There is none like it in the earth. Hast thou considered Esther, Susan, Paul, John, James? There is none like him and there is none like her in the earth. This is a testimony from God. This is not Job describing himself. When we describe ourselves, we tend to be gloriously inaccurate. But not God. When I was at that medical institution counseling, students would come to me, could you help me write this letter, that letter? Could you read over this working copy of a dean's letter? I don't know how it functions here, but where I was, the dean and the student would write the letter together, and the students would make changes, take it back to the dean, and they would go back and forth and negotiate a sparkling recommendation to some residency program somewhere. And what all students want is for the dean to say, there is none like him in the history of medical education. There's none like her in the history of this institution. We prize this student. We send him or her forth with all our best wishes. That's what you want. And if your interest is ophthalmology, you want the chairman of that department to write that letter for you? Because you know what that letter means by way of influence and questions not even asked. And God sent a dean's letter about Job. And he read it himself to Satan. Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. He is perfect. He's upright. He fears me and he eschews or he avoids evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth not, doth Job serve God for naught? Do you believe that Job serves you for nothing? Hast not thou made a hedge about him? 
and about his house and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath and he will kiss thee to thy face. The devil knows, he knew then and he knows even more now that the things we have mean so much to us they create serious competition with God. At this point, an amen would be quite timely. Thank you very much. Let me say it again for those of you who didn't like it. The devil knows that our material possessions, our academic distinctions, all that we have acquired that make us in a secular context someone important. He knows that these things create a tremendous barrier between us and a total surrender to the sovereignty of Christ in our lives. He knows that. And so he told God, Job serves you because of what he has, because of what you've given him. You had to buy him. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will kiss thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only on himself put not forth thy hand. And Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And we know the story. He lost his oxen and his asses. He lost his sheep. He lost his camels. Lost all ten children in one day. You may fail an exam or a quiz and you're ready to jump off a building. Job lost all ten children in one day. Lost all his material possessions in one day. One after the other, the bad news came. You've lost your oxes and your oxen and your asses. You've lost your sheep. You've lost your camels. You've lost all your children. And Job collapsed. The Lord giveth, he said. The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, chapter 2 of the book of Job, reading from verse 1. Again, there came a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? You see, sometimes God has to say something twice. When Joseph was called to interpret Pharaoh's dream, Joseph told Pharaoh the reason why he got the dream twice is because it was confirmed and established by God. So if you're praying for something, ask God to answer you again. Ask God to confirm it. He's in the habit of confirming. God said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and estreth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him. What are the final words of that verse? Without a cause. 
still he holdeth fast his integrity. He has lost his ox and his asses. He still holds on to God. He has lost his camels. He holds on to God. He has lost his sheep. He holds on to God. He has lost most of his servants. He holds on to God. He has lost his ten children. He holds on to God. He's about to lose his wife. He holds on to God. What if you lose your job this coming Monday? What if I lost my power of sight or my gift of speech? Could I still hold on to God for dear life? And God said, still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without a cause. Now let me pause on without a cause. God does not act rashly and purposelessly. If God lays some punishment upon you, he has a cause. Come on, say amen. If God removes something from your life, he has a cause. He does not act causelessly. There is a verse in the Bible that says the curse causeless shall not come. It is God who invented the great law of cause and effect. And while he may not be bound by the law, he follows it. In the sense that he operates on cause and effect. God told Satan, you're trying to get me to destroy Job, even though I have no cause to destroy him. If God had a cause, he would have destroyed him. Question number one. As you and I worship in this building, does God have just cause to bless us or to destroy us? Don't look around. Look at yourself. As you sit where you sit, just reflect on your life and I'll reflect on mine for the past 24 hours. Have we given God cause to bless us or destroy us? Either way, he functions on the basis of a cause. And he told the devil, you are inciting me, that's what moves me against him, to destroy him without a cause. Why was it God had no cause to destroy Job? Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth. Now that can be said of a person for one of two reasons. The degree of your wickedness or the height of your Christ-likeness. In the case of Job, it was the presence of God in Job. And then God elaborates on the details. A perfect and an upright man. One that feareth God and escheweth evil. When this is the quality of your life, God has no cause. To destroy you. I'll ask you again, no question, no, no response needed. <clears throat> Can God describe you as perfect, meaning mature? Can He describe me as upright? Do I fear God? Do you 
eschew evil, meaning do you avoid the possibility of coming, not avoid doing it, avoid the very possibility of coming into contact with it. When this is your life and this is mine, God has cause to show off to all those who inhabit the heavens. And that's what he was doing to Satan, showing off. And the only being in all the universe with any justification for showing off is God. And where God likes to show off, show off is the center stage of our lives. But we must not occupy it at the same time. And when actors do their thing on the stage, the audience uh, applauds, and then they come back from the wings, and they bow, and they do whatever they bow. Yes, God wants to be on that stage alone. Our lives are stages we offer to God that God may show the world the kind of God He is. Our lives are not stages for the performance of who we think we are. And Job's life was a stage on which God performed before the devil. And then God had an act too. He could not destroy Job. He had no cause because Job was a righteous man. Let me give the heart of the message in this sentence. Where there is righteousness, there can be no destruction. Quarter to 12. The program I was told is running a little late, so that makes me smile. Because I can say it was not my fault. So I will take the time I need. All those who love the word say amen. Amen. Let us go to the book of Genesis. We'll read from verse 4 as we continue a dean's letter from God. Genesis chapter 4. And for those of you who are here for the first time for public reading, I use the King James, so you'll know why what I say differs from what you read if you have some other version. Genesis chapter 4, reading from verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If, if thou doest well, condition. Shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. We have the first murder. A brother against a brother. As a result of a conflict over worship. Cain brought the fruit of the ground. Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And we're told, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. God is very specific. He respects the man and he respects the man's gift. 
He is equally disrespectful to Cain, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. Now, why did God accept Abel and his gift and reject so thoroughly Cain and his gift? Here's why it's important to study here a little. Very little precept upon precept. Let's run all the way to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We shall read verse 4. Hebrews 11 verse 4 as we continue a dean's letter from God. Hebrews 11, reading from verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was what? Righteous. Obtained witness from whom? God. Now, if God says you're all right, don't worry about what other people say. We're very concerned about what other people say. And to some degree, because human beings must interact with others, we ought to have some concern. But it must not be the overriding concern. By which he obtained witness, he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet speaketh. God was a witness to the righteousness of Abel. And when there is righteousness, there is acceptance. Which tells me on the other side of that coin, there was nothing righteous about Cain, nor his sacrifice. Let's learn a little more about Abel. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, reading from verse 10 as we continue. A dean's letter from God, a recommendation from God, a character reference from God. 1 John 3, reading verse 10. 11 and 12. The Bible says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Verse 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were wicked, and his brother's what? Righteous. The Bible is difficult and easy at the same time. But I believe it's more easy than difficult. The answer to the conflict between Cain and Abel is very clear. What Abel did was right. What Cain did was wrong. When you do what's right, you generate opposition from those doing what's wrong. If you go to some professional meeting, everyone's smoking like chimneys, drinking like fish, and you are respecting the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, by not injuring your body, someone may think, well, who do you think you are? I don't think I'm anything. I just don't drink. I just don't smoke. Because that's one way I worship my God. Who dwells in this temple perhaps in high school you didn't do what the other children did and they resented you not because you stole their lunch money but simply because you chose to live your life along principles of righteousness I am saying that righteousness wherever it exists it excites murderous homicidal opposition
And for fear of that, some people choose to go along with the crowd because when you go with the crowd, no one resents you. <laughs> You're just fine. That's why Jesus said, if he were of the world, the world would love his own. And since we fundamentally love acceptance, we go where we get it quickest and at the least cost. But acceptance with Christ means the sacrifice of all that you have. Let's learn some more about Abel as we continue with Dean's letter from God. Matthew chapter 23, reading from verse 29. Matthew 23, reading from verse 29. The Bible says, Warn to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye build the tomb of the prophets, and garnish the sepulchre of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. What they're saying to Jesus is, Look, our forefathers killed the prophets, but if we had been alive then, we would not have killed them. Jesus says, Be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them that killed the prophets. In other words, you have the same mindset, so you are just as guilty, even though you have not physically done it. That's a very, very serious principle. The Bible teaches all you have to have is the same attitude and you're just as guilty. Because if your attitude could be mingled with the opportunity, the action would follow. Now that's a standard of righteousness that exists only in heaven and is required of those on earth, on earth who claim Jesus Christ as having transformed our lives. Not even by attitude we offend God. So you're not a racist by behavior. Are you sympathetic to those who are? Then you are no different in God's eyes. You don't believe in genocide. But you don't mind if a certain group of people are wiped off the face of the earth. Even though you won't do it yourself. Or I won't do it. Then I am just as guilty. And so in verse 34, Jesus says to them, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets, and wise men, and scribes, some of whom ye shall kill and crucify. Some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogue and persecute from city to city. Now listen to verse 35. That upon you may come all the righteous blood, righteous blood shed upon the face of the earth, from the blood of whom? Righteous Abel, which means Abel was either a prophet, a wise man, or a scribe. Jesus describes Abel as righteous. In Hebrews, Paul describes him as righteous. In 1 John, he's described as righteous. That's why God accepted him and his sacrifice. Righteousness is the key. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Five minutes to twelve. Genesis 6. Reading from verse 5. If someone next to you is sleeping, bump the person accidentally and try to wake the person up. These are words of life, not because they're my words, but because they come from the Word of God. And God's Word, Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are what? Life. What text did I say? 
Genesis, what verse? Five. I'll come to six too. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Verse 9, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now, let's get another word that sums up all of that perfect, just, and walking with God. Genesis 7, verse 1. As we continue, a dean's letter from God, a reference from God, a recommendation from God. Genesis 7, 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen what? Come on, say it. Righteous. Before me. Not before the eyes of people. In this generation, Noah is described by God as a righteous man. And because he was righteous, he could not be a part of the destruction that God threatened in verse 7. I will destroy man whom I have created. He did not include Noah because Noah did not give him a cause as God told Satan. God has no cause to destroy a righteous man or a righteous woman. Righteousness is protection from the wrath of God. Whether by fire or by flood. Question again, don't answer me. As you sit where you sit and I stand where I stand, are you righteous? Don't answer me. Are you righteous? Does God have cause to destroy you or me? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because according to God's own well-worded testimony, Noah was a righteous man. That's the only thing that qualified him to get into that ark. Not how much money he had. And he had a lot of money. Ellen White says in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 95, I think it is, Noah invested all his possessions into the ark. I'm speaking here until the 5th of March. Do I have to always beg you for amen at the right times? Noah invested all his possessions. Like Paul. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Until you and I take everything that makes us who we are and we dump it. Which means we have nothing. Then we say to Jesus Christ, make me something through you. There is no raw material you can bring to God with which to say, God, use this to make something out of me. Let's see what else the Bible has to say about Noah. Second Peter chapter 2, 
reading verse 5. This is Brother Noah. Second Peter chapter 2, reading verse 5, we continue with Dean's letter from God or a recommendation from God or a reference from God. It's 1 minute to 12. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the, earth pers- the eighth person, a preacher of what? Righteousness. Now, in Genesis, go to Genesis 7-1 and keep Second Peter 2-5. I want you to flip back and forth. You've got ten fingers. Put one on Second Peter 2, 5, one on Genesis 7, 1. And I want to show you a vital principle. Do we have both verses? Listen to Genesis 7, 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous. Meaning, God tells Noah, you are righteous. You, yourself. That means the walk. Are you with me? Now let's go to 2 Peter 2, 5. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. That's the talk. What am I about to say? We ought to walk the walk and God bless you, sister. Noah talked the talk and walked the walk. And both testimonies came not from him, but from divine sources. In Genesis 7-1, God said, you're righteous. 2 Peter 2-5, the Holy Ghost tells Peter to write, he's a preacher of righteousness. What he does is righteous, what he says is righteous. That combination should describe you and me. So many Adventists, we are past masters at talking the talk. But not even God can get us to walk the walk. I have sometimes wondered, what would some of the pioneers say? And if you're not a Seventh-day Adventist, when we say pioneers, we mean those who built the foundations of this church. Somebody say amen. I've always wondered what they would say if God would raise them up as Jesus raised up some dead saints when he came from the grave. To see, they may say, Lord... Put us back into the grave. Please. This is not what we had in mind. This is not why we suffered and sacrificed and had been seven days a week. This is not the reason. I've wondered if the Lord would raise up James White who started our publishing work. And let him read some of our periodicals. And see what's in them. What would that godly man do and say? My brothers and my sisters, listen to me, not because it's me, but I'm speaking from God's word. You can talk the talk with the voice and the language and the tongue of angels. You know, Paul said, I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. You can talk it with the tongue of angels. And if you don't walk it, we are sounding brass. On expensive symbols, making costly noise and having no lasting effect with respect to people's eternal salvation. Noah walked the walk. He talked the talk. He could not be destroyed in that flood because he was righteous. 
And your, my question to you and to me, are we righteous? Let's take another look where righteousness is a protection from destruction. Genesis 18, the story of God and two angels coming down to inform Abraham that God was about to bring fiery end to Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela, the cities of the plain. He meets at the tent of Abraham. He enjoys a meal. Verse 22, the Bible says, And the men rose up, turned their faces from thence, and went towards Sodom, referring to the two angels. They went ahead to Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Verse 23 of Genesis 18, the Bible says, And Abraham drew near and said, Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? There are only two classes of people on this earth. The righteous and the wicked. Now, I don't care how many groups sociology classifies society in the upper middle class, elite, super elite, ultra elite, lower middle class, even lower than that, under the grave. I don't care. The Bible says there are two classes of people and it is not based on what you have, it's based on who you are in Jesus or who you're not. Righteous and wicked, which one are you? All righteous people say amen. I should have said all saved people, then you'd be more comfortable saying amen. There isn't a third class. Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure, there be fifty righteous within the city. Will thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? Abraham understands where there is righteousness, there cannot be destruction. Without knowing the Greek and the Hebrew word for righteousness, we know it's a protection from God's wrath. That be far from thee, verse 25, to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Sometimes we say, that's the furthest thing from my mind. And God agrees, destroying a righteous person is the furthest thing from my mind. Can you say amen? God has no plan, no desire, no intention, no scheme to destroy righteous people. And Abraham correctly says, that be far from thee to destroy the righteous with the wicked and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee shall not the judge of all the earth do right. What does it mean by right? The right thing to do is to destroy the wicked and to save the righteous. That's right, says Abraham. And God agrees. Are we righteous? God agrees. When you can challenge God like that, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the person Abraham was talking to was Jesus Christ, the same one who came and died. The same one whose righteousness we need. He's the same one who does the destroying. And he can recognize his own righteousness in his people. Verse 26, Genesis 18. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous people, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Do you see how powerful righteousness is, Mr. Cameraman? Can I just... You know, when you fly long distances, Los Angeles, Melbourne, Australia, you're told, get up and walk. <clears throat> so I'm just walking a little, 
to aid the circulation. God said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous people, 10 of these, I will spare how much of the place? All the place. Why? For their sakes. Which means that righteousness saves the righteous. And where righteousness is found, it provides a suspension of judgment for the wicked. Now, I did not say a cancellation of judgment. A suspension. Give the wicked some more time. Why? Because the righteous are so close to you. Now, God didn't say, if I find 50 righteous, I'll save the 50 righteous and destroy the rest. He said, if I find 50 righteous, I will spare all the place for their sakes. That's how powerful righteousness is. And so you can understand why God is so eager that his people be righteous because our righteousness is a blessing to others. Verse 27, Genesis 18. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure they shall lack five of the fifty. Will thou destroy all the city for lack of five? Abraham says, Lord, what's the difference between fifty and forty-five? You know, when I go to the stores and I see something costs thirty-nine ninety-five, <laughs> And I've always been bothered by that. Why not just put forty dollars? There must be a psychological, it's always 95 or 99 or 98. It is never a round figure. Abraham argues for round figures. Lord, what's the diff, as people say, between 50 and 45? And God is so gracious. Do you hear me? He is so gracious. He said, if I find there, 40 and 5. No, I won't do it. He said, I won't do it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure, they be 40. God said, I will not do it for forty's sake. Then in verse 30, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall 30 be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. That's how powerful right, even a little righteousness can save a city. Abraham took him down to 20, then to 10. And God said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. One-fifth the original amount. God couldn't find ten. He found one. Lot. Now you say, well, Lot's daughters, well, we don't know if Lot's daughters were righteous, but God brought them out because of Lot. You know, the Bible describes Lot as righteous. Let me show you the degree to which God respects righteousness. Ten after twelve. Genesis 18, reading from verse 15. As we continue, a dean's letter from God, a recommendation from God, character reference from God. And that reference has to be righteousness, every word of that recommendation. And when the morning came, then the angels hastened, Lord, saying, Arise, 
Take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the man laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. He lingered. Is not that, is not that what verse 16 says? And while he was lingering and maybe malingering, the angels grabbed him. That tells me two things. How highly God values righteousness. And in consequence of that, how eager he is to save and how unwilling he is to destroy. The angels literally, physically laid hold on Lot and his wife and his two daughters and pulled them out of the city. And then people say, God is mean. God uses human beings as fuel for the fires of hell. Ezekiel 33 verse 11, as I live, save the Lord, almost an oath he swears, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Verse 17, Genesis 18, and it came to pass when he had brought them forth abroad, that he said unto him, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plains. Escape to the mountains, lest thou be consumed. Now, if the angel had told me that, I would have said, no problem. I am gone. I would have been gone while he was talking. Verse 18, Genesis 18. And Lord said unto them, oh, not so, my Lord. <laughs> no, 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 angel. Let's discuss this business of getting away out. Let's discuss this. Let me introduce my perspective on your plan for my salvation. Verse 19, Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Evil there doesn't mean sin, it means some unfortunate accident like a lion and a snake biting him or something. Verse 20, Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither, is it not a little one, and my soul shall live. So Lord tells the angel, you are sending me to the mountain. I prefer to go to that little city called Zoar. Imagine that. You imagine the two angels, Lot and his two daughters. The wife is now salt. The two angels, Lot and his two daughters. The angels say, come on, come on, go to that mountain. San Bernardino Mountains. Lot said, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You see that little city over there? That's where we want to go. But Lot was a righteous man. I never said Lot was a flawless man. Verse 21. Amazing. And he said unto him, See? In other words, I want you to understand the extent to which I'm going to save your skin. The angel says, See? I have accepted thee concerning this also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Now the angels have told Lot that they had come down to destroy the cities of the plains. Then the angel said, because you have spoken for that city, I will not destroy it. Verse 22, haste thee. Escape thither, for I cannot do anything until thou become thither. In other words, Lot, until you go to that city, you ask me permission to, to go in to go. Until you move, I can't do anything here because I cannot hurt you. 
Why? Let's find out why. Second Peter chapter 2. Reading verse 7 and 8. As we continue with Dean's letter from God. Character reference from God. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 7. In verse 4. God destroys the angels. He sends them down to hell. That, that rebelled against him. Verse 5. He spares Noah, brings the flood on the, the old world. Verse 6, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow. Verse 7, and delivered just Lot. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Verse 8, for that, what kind of man? Righteous man. Dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot was so righteous that his life was a life of pain because of what he saw. He was disturbed every day. Question number three, four, five, I forget which one. Don't answer me. Does sin disturb you? Does sin upset me? When you look around, whether it's your city, your state, your country, your church, your school, and you see things not going God's way, are you disturbed? No, I'm very, very serious. There's no such thing as a casual walk with God with no interest in what's going on around us because we're the salt of the earth. The Bible says one of the reasons Lot was righteous, his soul was vexed from day to day. Why? Because of all the sin around him. Sin must break our hearts. Ezekiel 9.4, when Ezekiel sees the destroying angel coming on Jerusalem, the angel says, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark on all the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that are done in the midst. Set a mark upon the men that sigh and cry, those whose hearts break because of sin. And so Lot was spared. He was righteous. And so in Genesis 19, you read it when you get home, verse 18 to 23. Lot discussing with the angel an alternative to the mountains. Eventually, Lot went to the mountains. <laughs> because we find out sooner or later God's way is the best. Come on, say something. Eventually, Lot went to the mountain. Righteousness. Abel was righteous. God accepted him. Noah was righteous. God accepted him. Abraham was righteous. God accepted him. Lot was righteous. God could not destroy him. Job was righteous. God had no cause to destroy him. The key is righteousness. Righteousness isn't something God sends you, whether by FedEx, DHL, fax, or whatever other means of quick transportation or conveyance. Righteousness is something God brings. Righteousness is something God brings. You know, I think this side loves the word more than this side. I don't know why, but righteousness is something God brings. Amen. 
Nothing beats a failure but a trial. Let me try. Righteousness is something God brings. Now we're on equal footing. God bless you. What do I mean righteousness is something God brings? Because if you don't have Christ, you don't have righteousness. Philippians chapter 3. Reading from verse 4. Let's read from verse 5. Paul is giving the list of all his secular accomplishments. 20 minutes after 12. Paul says, circumcise the eighth day. Of the tribe of Israel, of the, of, the, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness of the law, blameless. Those are my credentials. Seven of them. Almost suggesting the completeness of earthly honor. Nothing else Paul could have wanted. Everything. The next verse says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. What are you and I willing to count as loss for Jesus Christ? Can you give up that unsaved boyfriend for Jesus Christ? That unsaved girlfriend? With no noticeable, measurable interest in salvation. Can you give up that friendship that tends to draw you from Jesus and not to Him? Can you give up that membership in that golf country club where people are always bashing God and government? Can you give up spending three hours between two and six in the morning on the computer playing whatever you play? Can you give up a few hours of mountain climbing and dedicate them to Bible study, climbing Zion? But what things were gained to me, says Paul. In other words, I am very clear, these were important in my life, no guesswork. Those were the very things I count but lost. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of most things. Somebody correct me quick. All things. And do count them but what? Dung. Yeah, lost, but I want you to get the word dung. You know what dung is? Who values dung? Except your gardener. You see, dung has usefulness. Don't misunderstand me. I'm staying at a good man called Dr. Fred Bischoff. Nice fellow. We have delightful chats. And my roommate is a distinguished Curtis Farnham on this. Uh, what's that thing? He's working there. Camera. <laughs> Say amen for Curtis. <laughs> All right. And I was watching Dr. Bischoff before he went off to some place yesterday. And he was putting what looked like dung among the flowers. And I said, Amen for dung. When it's put among the flowers. But beyond that, it has no use. So Paul says, I count everything that was secular to me as dung. Why? That I may win Christ. You see, here we have cause and effect. You cannot win Christ when your arms are burdened with 
dung. You've got to drop something to free your hands to hold something else. That I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is what He described back in verses 5 and 6. Circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, of the stock of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. All of that was the dung which he dropped that he may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And it is faith in Jesus Christ. What I am saying to you, Wherever God sees righteousness, He sees reason to bless. Wherever God sees righteousness, He sees reasons to save and preserve and prosper. Because when He sees righteousness, He sees Jesus. And that righteousness, in the person of Jesus Christ, is available to us this morning or afternoon. If I told you they were selling Mercedes-Benz <clears throat> downtown San Bernardino or wherever they sell them for $300 down, $10 a month for two months, you would leave the service. <laughs> you would get up from your medical school graduation and you would go pitch a tent. You know, <laughs> when God destroys people, He'll have a reason. During the Rose Bowl parade, there are people who camp overnight on the sidewalk. Am I right? Yes. Why? To get a good spot. You tell that same person make a sacrifice for Christ and that person cannot understand. There are people who camp overnight outside ticket offices to get playoff tickets for games. Christians. You tell them come to a prayer meeting for an hour. And then God is supposed to understand. Understand what? Understand what? Paul gave up everything. We read what Ellen White said. Noah gave up everything. And of course, the highest expression of self-giving... Jesus Christ gave up everything to take on our humanity. Now he tells us, give up everything to take on my righteousness. We will do that if we view Christ's righteousness highly the way Paul did. That which was gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. We have dung and we have excellency. And today, Jesus offers us the excellency of His righteousness. Righteousness is life in Jesus Christ. 
Righteousness is not something Jesus sends. It is something He brings through His Holy Spirit. Because ultimately righteousness is Jesus Christ Himself. That's why we are told the Lord our righteousness. You don't get it and say, Jesus, I've got it. It is Jesus, I have you. And His life becomes our life literally in the sense that His dependence on His Father, His victories become ours. And what I'm saying to you in the waning moments of this message is that that righteousness that saved Abel, that righteousness that spared Noah, that righteousness that delivered Lot, that righteousness can be yours and mine today, now, through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not given on the basis of membership in a church. It is given when a person lays everything down and says to God, Father, I come to you with nothing in my hands. Give me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the glorious thing is, God gives it. You check the Bible, I've looked, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe it's there, I've never seen it. But I've never seen angels described as righteous. They're described as holy. But I have not yet seen the expression righteous angels. Because righteousness, which Jesus demonstrated when he walked this earth, it is that quality of life, that conformity with God's high standards of righteousness that is worked out through faith in God, through dependence on Him. And this was the righteousness Jesus Christ worked out, which was perfect with His Father's character, and He gives it to us. No angel has walked this earth and resisted temptation. They are holy, but through Christ we are righteous. And the righteousness is available to you now. You know, we sometimes say something is available for the asking. So it is with the righteousness of Christ. Because righteousness, as I said, it is life. It is the very life of Christ. In Galatians 3, verse 21, Paul says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Life and righteousness in that verse are the same thing. So that a righteous life, righteousness isn't something you wear, it is something you are. And that your greatest joy is pleasing God in every aspect and department of the life. Righteousness. It touches how you dress. It touches how you eat. It touches how you spend your money. It touches who becomes your close friend. It touches your social activities. It touches your recreation. It touches your choice of academic um, performance. It touches everything. God wants to save you. That's why He sent His Son. And there's no need for any man or any woman to leave this place this morning. Uncovered. Let me repeat, there is no need. It would be suicidal for you to leave this building knowing that the righteousness of Christ, His very life, brought to you by Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, is available to you and to me for the asking. And we leave this place 
trusting in our own strength and our own accomplishments as Paul used to do. And so I call upon you as your brother in Jesus Christ and as God's appointed manservant, messenger, and mouthpiece. If there's a man or a woman under the sound of my voice who will say, Lord, I want the certainty of being covered and filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I want you to raise your right hand. God bless you. Keep it up. Keep it up. Unless it causes pain, keep it up. God establishes things by repeating them. Abraham, Abraham, Samuel, Samuel, Saul, Saul, Peter, Peter, Martha, Martha. If you are serious in raising your hand, you confirm it by standing. And you can take the hand down as you stand. Here's why you're standing. Father, I want to leave this place filled within and covered without with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. It will change how you think about everything. It won't make you do worse in school. It won't cause you to be fired from job necessarily. It won't cause you to go from being a medical student to being an art student. No, 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 no. All that changes is now you put that into the service of God. You bring that under His control, under His supervision, under His divine management. Now He controls and leads. So don't be afraid if you give your life to Christ. He puts you out of medical school. I am not preaching. But what he will do is say to the devil, I have no cause to destroy him. I have no cause to destroy her. And if God has no cause to destroy you, then he has cause to save you because there isn't a third choice. We don't preach purgatory because it's not here. Every head bowed reverently, please. Every eye closed equally reverently. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you now as your servant. And I ask you, forgive me for anything I've done to offend you while I've been in this desk. If I have been guilty of self-promotion, self-glorification, I pray for your forgiveness as I apologize to you. Humanity takes over so easily sometimes when a person does your work. If I have lifted up myself, I ask for your forgiveness I am sorry please accept my apology Lord you sent Jesus to die for those standing before you on the floor and up here and in the name of Jesus fathers we come I ask you to accept us for his sake now Lord I'm about to make a very serious appeal and I need the help of your Holy Spirit even more to touch hearts soften hearts Break down pride and expose the softness of the inner soul. Father, give me the right words to make this appeal, I pray. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, any man, any woman who will say, Lord, I have heard this message and deep down in my heart, I cannot say that I have given up everything and given my life a hundred percent to Christ. I cannot say that, but I do it now that I may receive his righteousness. If there's a man or a woman who will say that, giving up everything for Christ, 
I want you to leave your seat and come right here. Come quickly. Because you know your heart. I'm not calling everyone. I'm calling those who fit the description of the call. You know in your heart, you have not really given everything to Jesus Christ. That's the call. Now no one else knows but you and Christ. And you have fooled everyone but not God. Now you come and say, Jesus, I give myself to you 100%. Cover me and fill me with your righteousness. You come. Don't look to see who's coming. You just come. When Adam and Eve sinned, God came, spoke to Adam by himself, then spoke to Eve by herself, then spoke to the serpent by himself. That's how God deals with us. You know in your heart, and I know in mine, we have not truly given ourselves 100%. There's nothing extreme about 100%. We'll do that now. And we'll ask God to give us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we'll believe it. You come. This is no time to be cool and reserved. Who else will move? Not because I call, but the Spirit touches your heart. Who else will move? God bless you, sister. God bless you. God sees and records your movement. God bless you, sister, coming to my left. God bless you over to my right. Come. Don't hesitate. Come. God bless you, my good brother. God bless you. Sister to the left, my sister to the back. God bless you. Come, my good brother. God bless you. Sister, come. You come down the center aisle. God bless you. Coming to give ourselves 100% to Christ. At whatever cost it is. Come, my dear two sisters. God bless you. I feel deep in my heart someone else, some others ought to move. I'll wait for you. Some others ought to move. Don't know who you are. Don't know your names. But the Holy Spirit knows you and is touching your heart. You move and come. Don't hesitate. God bless you, sister. God bless my good sister. Come. God bless you, my good sister. God bless you. Just come. Don't think. Come. And I mean it. Don't think too much. Just come. You're coming for life. You're coming for Jesus Christ. Anyone else? Slip out and come. As the showers of blessing come down, symbolizing God's approval, you come. Who else will move? Then I pray. You're coming to say, Father, in all honesty, I have not given myself 100%. And I know it. But today that changes. Now give me the righteousness of your son. Anyone else will move? God bless you, sister. You come. God bless you. Here in the front to my right. Who else will come? God bless you, sister. Come. If you're standing by someone whom you know ought to move, take that person's hand and bring the person. You'll be surprised the person will not fight you. We need to save one another. Who else will come? Let the rains come. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I mean that. God bless you. God bless you, my dear brother. God bless you. From my heart, God bless you. Sister, God bless you. Someone else. Someone else come. Come, bring her. Ah, what a beautiful sight. Take her by the hand. Bring her. God bless the two of you. We must save one another. Bring her. God bless you. God. Sister behind them, God bless you. The food will wait. God bless you, my two sisters. God bless you. Come, give ourselves completely to Jesus Christ. That's all I'm asking. Completely. No pretense, no games. Let God give us His righteousness completely.
Who else will come? God bless you, my good brother. Come. God bless you. I love you for coming. I want to say that. We know we have not been 100% with God. We know it. Let's do the right and decent thing and come 100%. God bless you as you come. Come. Praise the name of the living God. Come. His Holy Spirit knows how to move hearts. God bless you, my sister. God bless you. What a beautiful sight when young people move. Any age moves, but particularly the young. God has so many of your lives, so much to use for His glory. Come. Don't pause. Don't hesitate. Just come. Now I shall give you one minute exactly for those who still need to move. Then I'll pray. The 60 seconds begin now. Come. Pray in your hearts that God will soften hearts. Just slip out and come. 45 seconds left. God bless you. And I mean that. God bless you. I prayed from my heart. 30 seconds left. Fifteen seconds, slip out and come. God bless you, sister. We have five seconds left. Then I pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, reverently in the presence of the living God. Father in heaven, I have made the call. I believe you've given me the words. The Spirit has touched hearts and your people have come. And I thank you for them, and I know you're happy to receive them. Father, they have come to say, we have come to say, we have not given ourselves to you 100%. Father, we want to be sure that there is no cause for you to destroy us, as you had no cause to destroy Job, or Abraham, or Lot, or Noah, or Abel. And now, in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, I will speak to those who came directly. Give me again the right words, help them to understand. Those of you who came, look at me. I want you to give me permission to pray for you. So that when I speak, God hears all of your voices. If you give me that spiritual right, raise your right hand. There cannot be any exceptions. If you came, you want me to pray for you, raise your right hand. Give me the right to represent you before the throne of God. Every hand down. Father, the voice you're hearing is the voice of dozens. We have come to say... We are sorry we have played the fool. We are sorry our commitment to you has been partial. Yes, Lord, we have been decent. We have been well-mannered. We have been well-trained. We have been cultured. We have not stolen our neighbor's house. But we have not been yours a hundred percent. Father, we apologize from our hearts. And we ask you to forgive us. Please forgive us. And now, God, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, give us the righteousness of your Son. We count as dung all our earthly possessions, all our academic distinction, all that the world holds as glorious. We count it, like Paul, as dung now. 
And we ask you in Jesus' name to give us your righteousness. Give us the life of Christ. That all that pleases us may be that which pleases you. Hear us, God, and do it for the sake of Jesus. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say, Amen. And amen and Father, for those standing back there, bless them. We thank you for their 100% commitment. And if there is someone who should have come and did not come, give that person no rest. And Father, I mean that. Do what you have to do. If it means making the person sick, breaking a leg, firing the person, Lord, I don't care. The person's salvation is what counts. Do what's necessary to break down that opposition that you may save those for whom Jesus died. I pray, I pray, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, let God's people say with me, Amen and Amen. God bless you. Let the words remain on your hearts. And in all that we do, let us do it with the consciousness that we are the children of God, righteous because He made us so, and He has no cause to destroy us. I love God. If you love God, can you say amen? amen. God bless you. I love you. I will see you tomorrow. Remember, today's what? And we ought to keep it how? God bless you.